for being here today and being a part of our service this morning and worshiping with us. And today we're going to continue to look at some of our uh, parables that, that Jesus had taught through, uh, through the different Gospels. And as we look at that, what we want to do is we want to kind of take a look and reverse back and, and see that a, a parable is basically just a simple story that God used to uh, illustrate a heavenly purpose. And as he's done that, I want you to take just a moment and imagine with me. I want you to take just a moment and I want you to imagine with me that you'd never read the Bible before. I want you to take a moment and imagine with me that, that you, you didn't know anything about Jesus Christ, other than maybe a few little things here and there, some hearsay that you've heard. I want you to imagine with me just for a second that, that you had no idea what Christianity was. And then in that, I want you to think about this. Your entire life has revolved around you. Your entire life has said, I'm living to look out for who's number one. I'm living because I'm only living for today. Today is what matters, and that's all that it is. I want you to just imagine that with me for just a second, because there's two different groups of people that are that way. One would be those who are new to following Jesus that he's teaching some of these parables to, and two, there's people outside these doors that are that exact same way. And then just imagine this for just a second. As, as Jesus is talking to these groups of people that, are, that have just come along, they've never gotten involved in Scripture. They don't understand any of the things that are going on. And he starts throwing out these crazy proverbs to them. And as he's throwing out these crazy proverbs to them, one of them is you can only experience life through death. Imagine what's going through their head. Good will often come out of evil. The only way to real freedom is through slavery. If you want to experience exaltation, then you have to humble yourself. I mean, these are, these are parables that he's throwing out there. The road to gain riches is by losing everything that you find valuable. You'll know abundance through giving away. I mean, just imagine with me for just a second, these are the things that you're being taught, and not just being taught, but being challenged to live by. Your entire way of thinking is shifting. Your entire way of living is shifting. And as that happens, what do we see take place? Well, as we're looking at these parables and as we're looking at each of these things, Jesus is talking about the same thing with the kingdom of heaven. There has to be some confusion there. There's a kingdom of God that, that these people have this picture of, and they understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And as he's the Messiah and this kingdom of God, they have one thing in mind, and that is a physical kingdom. They think Jesus has come to overthrow the Roman government. They think that Jesus has come to rule on the earth. Now, I will be very honest with you, he has come to rule on the earth, but not in the way that they thought. And as they were looking at it, and as they were going through it, they were very confused. And he started telling these parables that this is much bigger than what you think. This is much different than what you think. And as we look at it, we started to look at this uh, and we gave you a definition last week. And the definition really, because he started talking about this kingdom of God in the parables, and the kingdom of heaven in the parables, we said this, the kingdom is the rule of God and the establishment of his purposes through Christ. And not just through Christ, but in and through the lives of his followers through Christ. And I looked at that and I said, that might be a little bit too big. That might be a little bit too much to really let soak in. So I said, let's make it short. Let's make it tweetable. And so this is what it is. The rule of God in the hearts of men. Plain and simple. That is the kingdom of God. So as we look at these parables and talk about the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like, what he is saying is, is the rule of God in, the men's, in men's hearts is like this. 
And last week we started off with two different parables that he tied together. One was a mustard seed and one was leaven. That mustard seed was a small seed that grew up into something that dominated the garden. And as we look at that, and he's saying that this mustard seed is like the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom of God, that rule of God in men's hearts is like this mustard seed, Jesus, that will spread and take over. And we see that giant bush at the end really represented in the church. Not in a church, but in the church, as the church of Jesus Christ spreads across this world. And we see that taking place. And then he also says, there's this leaven. The kingdom of God, that rule of God in men's hearts is like leaven. That when it gets into the flower, it's going to spread and infect everything. And on the outside, we see the seed grow into the tree. But on the inside, in the heart, we see this leaven affect our hearts. And as it affects our hearts, it affects our minds. And as it affects our minds, it affects our desires. And as it affects our desires, it affects our actions. And as it infects and affects each one of us, it will begin to ooze out of us and affect and infect other people as well. And so Jesus is talking about this kingdom of God, this rule of God in our hearts is going to change us. Now the question is, is it changing us? Are we allowing God's rule in our life to change us? Is it affecting our desires? Is it affecting our actions? Is it affecting our reactions? Is that rule of God, is that kingdom of heaven changing us? Some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Would you say that God's rule in your life is affecting you? Some of you have been Christians just for a few months, few weeks, few days. I don't know. Is God's rule in your life infecting us and changing the way that you think and changing the way that you act? Well, that leads me to a question that is the question for today. And it's a question, as I've read these parables, that kept coming up in my mind. It's a question that when I take my notes, and I have a big, huge notebook that I write all the stuff down of what I'm going to talk about for this week and go through and say, yeah, that's worth it, that's not, that's going to take me way over 50 minutes, that's not, so I'm going to go through these things and eliminate these things. I put this at the top of my note page for this week, and I put a big box around it. It was this question. The question is, what are you willing to give up for Christ? a difficult question. That's a hard question, but if he is infecting us, and if he is affecting us, what should he be doing in changing our thinking? What should we be willing to give up for Christ? The answer, in short, is everything. But it's not that easy. It's not that easy. We understand, but when the rule and reign of God is in our life, if the rule and reign of God is in our life, he is in charge. We are not. We are no longer the one taking the the reins. We are the one subject to whatever the master says. So what are we willing to give up when the master says, give this up? And that's a question that came to me as we're looking at this next set of parables found in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, three simple verses, but not that simple when we look at it. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, and one of them is the parable of the hidden treasure, and the other one is the parable of the pearl of great value. And what we're going to see is what individuals were willing to give up to have Jesus Christ, to have the kingdom and rule and reign in their lives. And now, there's some, there's some 
you know, people that, that might question what this is about, and we're going to explain that as we go. But if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44 through 46, it says this. The kingdom of heaven, once again, that rule and reign of God in men's life, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then he switches to a second parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven, that rule and reign in our hearts, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. One who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So here we have two parables. Here we have two different people, two different men, two different types of people, one who stumbles on this treasure and one who is seeking the treasure. And in these parables, simply put, I believe what Jesus is trying to say, if you want to tune me out for the rest of what I have to say, write this down. God reigning in you is the best thing that you could ever get. That is it. He's the best thing that you could ever get. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to break these down to see how Jesus is teaching this. So go back to verse 44. Verse 44 says this again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Today, I don't think we can fully comprehend what this is all about. We have to go back, like I said last week, we have to hear from the hearer's perspective. And that hearer's perspective is these first century Jews, not 21st century Americans. And first century Jews understood what this was. Because today, we can take all of our goods, and we can take all of our valuable possessions, and we can put them in a safety deposit box. Or we can take it, and we can put all of our money in a bank, and it can be safe there. Well, then, they didn't have that. As a matter of fact, rabbinical law actually said that the best way to keep your treasure safe was to bury it in a field and remember where you buried it. That was the best thing to do. It would keep it safe from, from foreigners coming and plundering the land. It would keep it safe from thieves coming in and trying to rob your house. But the problem was, was this, is that these people would take all of the goods that they had, all of the valuable stuff they have, and they'd take a giant pot or some sort of thing like that, and they'd go bury it in a field, and they would remember where they buried it. And then when that foreign invader came in and killed the guy who remembered where he buried it at, well, guess what? Nobody could remember where he was buried at. That's a problem. And sometimes that guy, because he's stubborn like I would be and not want to tell anybody where that stuff's buried at, he would just die. And when that would happen, there would be something buried in the field. And it could be buried there for years. It could be buried there for decades. And the big thing in ancient literature was that kind of like us finding a lottery ticket was them finding a buried treasure. And so when Jesus is talking to them about finding a buried treasure, they knew exactly what he was saying. It piqued their interest. It was something they'd always dreamed about. It was something that they said, this is a get-rich-quick scheme, is to be walking through a field and have a cane or be plowing a field with a big plow and clank, you hit something, you're like, what is that? And that is my ticket out of here. That's exactly what it is. And so we see this playing itself out from the hearer's perspective. They're excited about it. Imagine the scene. This guy is either walking through the field and he's seeing that it had just rained the day before and something shiny is kind of over there in the corner that the water had, had washed away the mud. Or like he said, he hits it with a plow because he's a hired hand. Imagine what the feeling would be for that guy. Now, he could have just stolen it. 
But that's not the point of this story. What the point of the story is, is he recognized the value of that very thing. And as he recognized the value of that very thing, he said, I am willing to go home and I'm really willing to get rid of all of my things and do this in a legal way and buy that field because everything I have isn't worth what that is. And so as we see that and as we see this guy do that, let me ask you a question. When he got home and he looked at his own house, and he says, I just, I just remodeled this house. And he looks outside and he says, I just bought four new donkeys. And he, he goes to his wife and he said, I just bought you new jewelry. Give it to me. We're going to sell it all. You think she might think he's crazy, right? There might be a little bit of crazy thinking going on inside that guy's head. But he understands if he can liquidate everything he has and put that money together and go to the owner of that field that has no idea that some guy decades or maybe centuries before buried this amazing treasure out there, he found that treasure and he's willing to give all for that treasure because he understands how much that treasure is worth. And the great thing is, as we look at how amazing that is, I think there's two things we need to see in this parable. And that is these words, in his joy, as well as he sold all. In his joy, he sold all. So we look at the joy that he has. He's not doing it sacrificially. He's doing a little Irish jig, or maybe a Jewish jig. I don't know if they have one of those. But he's, he's dancing, he's excited about what he's doing. And he goes and he sells everything. You know, this isn't a picture of Jesus saying, hey, you need to reject all your stuff. What this is, is it's a picture that you need to reconsider how much your stuff is worth versus the treasure that is in that field. Once again, that treasure that is in that field is the rule and reign of God in men's hearts. What is the rule and reign of God in men's hearts worth to you? Are you willing to give up all? Are you willing to sell out all for Jesus and having him be the rule and reign in your heart? I mean, you have to think that as he's walking through this, my question is, if you were in the field and you saw that and you saw something that was worth millions of dollars, would you go home and sell your house and sell your cars and sell all that you had in order to obtain that? Would you be willing to give up all of the things you have now for something that is far greater? My guess is you say yes, because in a physical perspective, absolutely what I have here is pretty meaningless and pretty paltry in comparison to what I can gain if I give this up. But yet when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, which is far greater than anything we could ever get, I told you that right up front. We say, well, I really like my worldly junk. I don't really want to give that up. And we look at it and we say, well, is this a parable about buying our salvation? about earning our salvation, and I say no. I say this is a parable about the incredible value of salvation and the rule and reign of God in our lives. See, God doesn't accept us because of something we did. 1 John 4.19 very clearly says, God loves us first. We love because he loved us first. We do all that we do because he did it first. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. But that treasure is that love that we're chasing after. 
That treasure is God's love and God's rule and God's reign in our lives. My question for you is, is who or what reigns in your life? Who or what reigns in your life? What is that thing that you are grasping and chasing after and desiring so badly that you're willing to sell out all for? Because my guess is somewhere in our lives, we have done that, haven't we? That we are willing to sell our future for this thing right here in the present. Isn't that what credit cards are all about? Selling out our future for having something now. When we look at that and we think, what is it that we have sold out for? And as the, the people that are sitting there listening to the story say it, and they're starting to grasp it, he throws another one right at them. He says, this guy here, he wandered in and just kind of happened to find it. Here's another guy who's actually seeking it out. In the church, we call them seekers, the seeker-friendly church, the people who are trying to find Jesus, who are trying to find that perfect thing. They've tried all of these different things and they just haven't found what they're looking for. And it says here in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value or of great price went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So he goes from a hired hand to this this wanderer to this person who is intentionally seeking out this expensive item. He works for businesses. He goes and he buys something. He takes it to the retailer who ends up selling it for more. That's his job. He isn't just wandering or trying to make a buck. He is looking specifically for it. And what happens is, is he finds something that is far greater than he could ever imagine. Now, we have now today cultured pearls. They're able to make them. They're able to do the different things by, by having the oysters. But in this day, that was not possible. And it wasn't like they had diving suits and heavy uh, gear to be able to go scuba tank diving or anything like that to find these pearls. These were rare jewels to find. These pearls were rare. So not only was it rare, but it was a pearl that was extremely rare to it was a pearl of great value, of great price. And he finds that one thing that he's been looking for. And as he's doing it, what's he do? Well, he does the same thing the guy in the first story did. He sold all. He sold all. And I, I believe what he's trying to say is he's talking about the value of that great gift, of that treasure, of that pearl, of the kingdom of God. The value of having God reign and rule in the hearts of us is so much greater than we could ever imagine. And as we look at it, we see these parables. There's, there's three things that I see in common. Three steps that are taken, both of the guys, the the wanderer and the the one who is searching, understand and recognize the great value that they found. Both of them have that. The second thing is that both of them were determined to possess that very thing. These objects of great value, they reevaluated their priorities, they reevaluated their life, they reevaluated all of their stuff so they could obtain the thing that they wanted the most. And then they all, both joyfully sold everything they had to obtain it. They went and they closed the deal. They didn't just say, hey, that pearl is amazing and walk away. Or, man, that treasure is really impressive and walk away. Because can you imagine if Jesus, in this story, told these Jewish followers of his that, that were sitting there that, that knew the, 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 the climax of this story is going to be them getting the ultimate treasure. How awesome is that? And instead of that actually happening, he goes, and the guy was walking through the field and he found that field and he reburied and he walked away and left forever. That's not exciting. That's not a parable we want to hear. 
they think that person was an idiot for walking away from that great richness that was waiting for him. But stop and think about it. If that's the kingdom of heaven, if that's the rule and reign of God in our hearts, and we say, that looks impressive. Love from Jesus Christ is impressive. Salvation from Jesus Christ is impressive. Heaven is impressive. All of the things that I need in my life, so impressive, wrapped up in that package, that all I have to do is be willing to let him be the Lord of my life and not me. And then I say, nah, and walk away. Well, the same story ending. You're an idiot. Let's just be really honest with that. We need to be thinking about what is there, what Christ has offered to us. You know, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a, was a, a missionary to the Aki Indians. Maybe you've heard of his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, because Jim Elliott went down there, was actually killed by the Aki Indians who he was trying to share the gospel with. And in the story, if you've ever seen it, The End of the Spear, it's a, it's a movie about him, uh, you see all the things that he wanted to do. And he has a quote that, that has always stuck with me. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How many things of this world do we want to hold on to that we will not get to hold on to? I used to use this phrase all the time. That it, was, it, it was, have you ever seen a U-Haul hooked up to a hearse? Problem is, is somebody sent me a picture of that like two weeks ago. So I can't use that illustration anymore. But... The honest answer is, we don't get to take it with us, but yet we hold on to it like it's something important. And there's a prize. There is a gift. There is a treasure. There is a pearl of great value that we have a tendency to reject because we want to hold on to the things of our life that are so really basically meaningless. And I look at it and I think to myself, we want to hold on to the stuff, the toys and the dust and the, the things that are going to return to the dust and give up what God has for us for eternity. And the hearers, I think they were sitting there and listening. If that person that had found the treasure and walked away, they'd think that's just the most ridiculous thing. And then I start to think about what is it that I hold on to? What is it that I'm making sure that stays mine? What is it that I want? And, and I'll tell you, the first thing that came to my mind was my self-righteousness. That, that is probably it. Uh, it's my sense of being a good person. And my thing is, is I think a lot of people are that way. They may not say that first, but that's exactly what they hold on to. Well, I'm a good person, so God has to accept me. I am better than that person. That is our mentality. It's my pride that gets in the way. It's my accomplishments that gets in the way. Even sometimes, it's our humility that gets in the way. I'm the most humble person I know. I mean, just stop and think about that. It's our humility saying, well, God, I have obviously laid down plenty of stuff for you. So, and, and we get caught up in, in that type of thinking. But the cool thing is, is that Paul writes about it in the book of Philippians chapter 3. And he writes about it and he says this in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That treasure, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field, like a pearl of great price. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now rubbish is a nice word for a pile of poo. That's what it actually is. It's a pile of dung. 
Everything I have, everything I've done is just a pile of poo. That is interesting. That is the Bible. And you read it and you say, okay, in order that what? I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And you might be thinking, well, why is he saying that? Why is he going into this? Well, he, right before that, says about how amazing he really is. Check this out, starting in verse 2. Just go back a few verses up. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in all the things that I have done and all the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh and all the things he's done, I have more. I'm better than you. I am better than you. Check this out. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As of the law, I'm a Pharisee. As the zeal, a persecutor of the church. As the righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. I am better than you. But whatever I have gained, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. All of the stuff that I have, all of the rubbish that I think is so great, I've now reevaluated and understand it's really not that great in comparison to Jesus Christ. Where are we at with what Paul says? What are we willing to give up for Christ? What is it that we are holding on to? What is it that is hindering us from fully possessing the glorious glory that Jesus Christ offers us through his death, burial, and resurrection? See, as professing Christians, we say that we believe Jesus and the gospel is more valuable than anything else. But do our lives respond and do our lives look that way? Do our lives and priorities, actions say those words that we have come out of our mouth? Do they back us up? We might think, well, is this one of those messages where I have to go live in a cave and give up everything? No, because I believe God has given us the gifts. The problem is is we take those gifts and we make them our idols. We make them our mini-gods. So the kingdom of heaven is unbelievably valuable and no sacrifice is too great to gain it. It's worth everything. It is worth everything. It's worth giving up the things that I hold on to, my sins, that I want to hold on to, the pleasures that I make my God, the people that I make my God, the possessions that I make my God, the pride that I make my God. What are we willing to give up for Christ? What is it? I want you to take a moment and just think about this for a second. Last week I closed up with Levi, the tax collector. I want to close up with him again today as we look at Levi, the tax collector, and even one of his buddies, Simon Peter, the fisherman. Both of them at different times in their life were approached by Jesus. And Jesus said, come, follow me. And their response was to do what? They got up and went. They got up and went. They left everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. I mean, when we really stop and think about what they left, Matthew, who was Levi, he was a tax collector. He was wealthy. He'd been robbing people for years. He had everything that he needed. He had a profession. He had a family. He had not a lot of friends, but he had everything else that he wanted. And when Jesus said, come follow me, he got up and followed, which means he left all of that. Peter, Peter was a guy who had a 
prominent fishing business or part of the dad's business, when dad passed away, he was going to get it. So we look at that and we say, okay, well, if that's what Peter had, what all did he leave? It actually says he left his boats and his nets behind. But we also see that he left his family behind. He left his future behind. He left his career behind. He left all of the hopes and dreams. And so did Matthew. They left, up their, they left their, their expectations of what their life was going to look like. They left their, their hopes of what their life was going to look like. They left their understanding of what their life was going to look like. You know what else they had to eventually live or leave behind? As their expectations of what the Messiah was going to do. Because even in Acts chapter 1, they said, okay, now that you're back, are you going to set up your physical kingdom? And he's like, guys, seriously, I told you what the kingdom of God's like. It's not physical. It is spiritual. It will come again in a physical way. But right now, it's my rule in your heart. And they had to give up those hopes. They had to go out there and they had to do that. And as they did, they also had to give up their desire for success. Because people were going to push them aside. People were going to call them crazy. People were going to not allow them to be a part of what they were doing. And you know one thing I, I've noticed too? They gave up. We talked about it last week during our connection group. They had to give up their prejudices. Think about this. The rich young ruler, I'm sorry, the, the poor, the righteous, the, the Samaritans, the, the prostitutes, the children, the religious leaders, all those people were people that they were supposed to go to, that Jesus had gone to. But they were all people that were those people. One of the things we talked about last week in our connection group was this. Where is the color in our church? You know where it's at? It's in other churches. And, and, and you know, I, I got to looking at it, and I said, you know, the church is diverse because there are black churches and there are white churches and there are Hispanic churches and there's native churches and there's Indian churches and there's Chinese churches and there's, and there's great things in that. But why are they not together? Why even at a church do they have a Caucasian service and a Hispanic service? It's culture, I understand. But isn't that the same thing that we look at here? That culturally, the Samaritans would do their own thing. I believe the woman at the well said, we worship at this mountain and you worship your mountain. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That the religious leaders did their thing and Jesus' people did their thing. We have to give up our prejudices towards that. We have to be willing to go. You know, I, I laughed. I said, let's just throw away color. Let's put in economic status. We don't have any multimillionaires sitting here that I know of. If you are, we need to talk after the service. We have six months. We need to be in a new building. But here's the, here's the thing. If one walked in the door, if somebody walked in the door, would they stay? And my guess would be no. And the reason why my guess would be no is because I'm not like them and you're not like them. Because we like to hang out with people that we're like, whether that be economics or race or education or you can name it, and we will go to that group of people. And we need to put that kind of thing aside to say we are going to go to the people, whether it be those three scary words, door to door, and knock on those doors and be willing to pray for people and say, how can I do whatever? And you don't have to share the gospel, just share the love of Jesus. Break down the barriers that are there that are prejudices. And you know, you might say, well, okay, I'm willing. 
I'm willing to do it, Matt. You said, what are you willing to give up for Christ? I'm willing to give up everything for Christ. Awesome. But Luke chapter 18, that rich young ruler that I threw in a second ago, he was willing to give up everything until Jesus actually asked him to do it, right? He said, oh, here's all the things that I've done. I've kept every book of the law. I've done everything that's necessary, all that. And Jesus said, okay, I've got one last thing for you. I want you to sell everything you have. And I want you to go, go give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. And what's his reaction? He goes away sad. He goes away sad. God, I'm willing to follow you, except for that one thing. That one thing that I'm holding on to. What did that wealth mean? It meant, well, security. It meant social status. It meant all different sorts of things that he wasn't willing to give up. What are the things that we are not willing to give up? See, following Jesus is probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. And every day, it's difficult. Every day, he's calling me to do something. I'm like, nah, I don't think so. But every day, I also realize it's the most rewarding investment I've ever made in my life. And I would hope you feel the same way. I'm going to give you one quick example, and you've probably heard me use it before. But I'll never forget when Christy put the picture of Indale in my lap. He said, this is the little boy we need to go get from Ethiopia. And I said, I have to pray about it. And you know why I had to pray about it? Because I knew that little fella wasn't ever going to leave my house if I brought him into it. Being the fact he has Down syndrome, there's a pretty good chance he's not going to live on his own. And I said, I'm not sure if I want that. Because I want my stuff. I can also tell you this morning, even when I woke up and he was laying next to me in my bed and he was staring at me, I wouldn't have it any other way. I really wouldn't. And same with Levi and same with Lily. And I know, I know that they're not leaving the house. I'm not even sure if the other three are leaving the house at any point in time. But, but I know those three aren't. So my whole future has changed. But it has changed for a good my life, my desires, my passions have changed because of those kids. God's going to call you to do things that are going to change your life, your passions, your desires. My question is, will you say yes? Will you be willing to give up all for him? I'm not saying he's calling you to the jungle, but maybe he will. You know, it's funny. I, I looked uh, at a, a thing this week, and it was a, a whole study on somebody. They, they put out a, a, a survey that said, would you be willing to give up your washer and dryer for a year or high-speed internet for a year? The overwhelming percentage said, I'll give up a washer and dryer. That's exactly right. And you think about that and you say, okay, I'm willing to give except for blank. I read another article this week and I was sharing it with the guys on Friday about Netflix. Netflix has recently put out their first quarter earnings and their CEO, something, Hastings is his name, I can't remember what it is, um, he, uh, he got up and they said, they were asking during a Q&A time, and one of them said, who is your biggest competition? Is it Amazon Prime? Is it Hulu? Is it HBO Go? Is it one of those? And he said, nope, it's sleep. And they said, what? He said, it's sleep. We want people to binge watch and get so addicted. He actually said these words. We want to provide a product for people to be addicted to. That's why they put full seasons out, that they are willing to give up sleep to continue to watch. That is their goal. 
for you to give up things that matter for them. That sounds familiar. We're willing to do it, too. How many of you guys have binge-watched to the point you're like, oh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, just one more show. Let's be real. We're willing to give up that. But when Christ says, I want you to give up something, are we as willing? That's a question that you need to answer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for what you do. And thank you for the way you speak into our lives. And you challenge us. God, this isn't an easy message to hear. This is the daily message that says that I need to be willing to give up myself for you every day. But I like me. And I like my stuff. And I like my sins. And I like my pleasures. And I like the people in my life. And I like the possessions. I like it all. But God, you've called us to give it up. So what do we do? How are we willing? And that is a question that we each need to answer in our own lives. Do we see the great value of your son and the salvation and the love that comes through him? Or do we merely look at the things we have, that pile of rubbish, and think it's something great? God, change our perspective. Help us reconsider the value of what we have for the value of what we have in you. We pray it in your name. Amen.